0: In Isaiah 61, Jesus declared that he had been sent to bring freedom for the prisoners and to set the oppressed free. And throughout Jesus' ministry, we see his power to set free those that were imprisoned by their own sin and those that were oppressed by the sins of others. When Jesus died and rose again, he destroyed the power of sin once and for all giving us free access to the love and power of God. In this Set Free series, we will provide the tools for each of us to identify the lies we have believed, to take hold of the truth that Jesus offers, and learn to walk in the power of the Spirit. Jesus came to set us free from whatever stops us living in the fullness of God's love and power. This morning, uh, we're continuing our series on Set Free, and our our focus this morning is set free from fear. And uh, we looked in the last couple of weeks at shame in our first week and rejection last week. This week, we're looking at fear, and uh, we're just looking at what does God say about fear? How does God help us identify the lie of fear, find the truth that he speaks to us about this, and learn and teach us how to walk in the Spirit to be free? And so today we're going to be looking at that. Look, I don't think there's a person on the earth in some way that hasn't experienced the difficulty of fear and anxiety. Sometimes it's a fear that is quite natural. It's part of our normal fight and flight response as human beings. And uh, But oftentimes the debilitating part is the fears and anxieties that stick with us, that don't let us go and actually stop us functioning normally in our lives or bring repetitive emotional stress to us and those fears of course are debilitating and they're not part of the promise of God. Today we're going to look at how we can take hold of those ongoing debilitating fears and more fully enter into the freedom that God wants us to experience. You know probably of all the weeks of subjects that we've looked at as a church probably for me this has been one of my great battles. You know I probably haven't battle as much with shame or rejection or bitterness or some of those other things, although I'm sure at times those things have had to be dealt with. But the thing that probably I have battled personally has been this fear and anxiety, the way that that within me there seems to have been something in that that wants to grab hold of that. And uh, so what I want to share this morning is sure we're going to be looking at the Word of God, we're looking at what God's truth says to us, but there's a little bit coming out of how I believe you can be free. There is a way to be free from fear. God wants us free, uh, but it's not necessarily that we, you know, we just simply get prayed for and fear is no longer a problem again. I've met many people where that is possible, but I've also found in my own life that fear is a process to be free from fear. It's a process of renewal, and I'm hoping today we can look at that, and uh, I hope something of that will bless your life. As we open the word. So let's do that. Let's go to Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22. If you have a Bible, please open it, otherwise, the words will come on the screen for you. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, "Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water." So he said, "Come." And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, "Lord, save me." And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, "O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt?" And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Could we pray? Father, this morning I pray that you would quicken your word to our hearts. God, each one of us walks the narrative of our life. Each one of us faces the challenges that are unique to us. But yet we're part of your body, Father. We're part of your covenant. Father, we're part of the way in which you see us is both uniquely us, But you also call us into your body, God, to be healthy and to be well. Father, to find freedom and victory. And I pray today that you would whisper to us as a body of Christ, as a family of Christ, but also as individuals, Lord, your pathway of freedom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I find it interesting that here's Peter and the disciples on the boat being tossed by a boisterous sea. And as if you picture yourself in this boat, and if you've ever been on a boat that's quite boisterous and the sea is going, and if you're a fisherman like Pete and the rest of them, a lot of them were fishermen, uh, it's not a very comfortable feeling. And if it's that boisterous that the fishermen can find themselves afraid, then it's probably a reasonable sea. Because I don't think this is uh, Pete's first radio. I think he's been in the boat plenty of times as it's gone up and down and the boisterous waves have blown all around him. And yet he is in the boat and he is afraid. But they see this ghost or what they think is a ghost walking on the horizon that comes over and walks towards them. Now Peter, in an attempt to identify this ghost, says a most amazing thing. And I puzzled over it for weeks as I was preparing for this morning, saying, God, what is it about this? Because I don't really understand it. It wouldn't be the first thing I would say if I was trying to identify the Lord Jesus standing on the water and I'm in the boat and it's going up and down would you have said Lord if it's you command me to come to you on the water. So command me to leave the safety of this beautiful comfortable boat albeit doing this but I'm still okay. And let me walk out there with you. Now I don't know if you've thought about it, but that's a puzzling question to ask Jesus. And so he asked Jesus the question, and Jesus says, come. For me, I probably would have said, Jesus, could you show me that nifty little birthmark you've got on the left-hand side behind your ear? Just, uh, we'll work it out. Or Jesus, what's the name of my mother-in-law? Or Jesus, my four-digit PIN code on my credit card Uh, because you're the son of God, you know everything. Give me those four and then I'll know it's you. No, no. Pete says, command me to get out of the boat. There's something Peter saw in Jesus that was important for him to say. Remember, Peter's just come from seeing a few things happen. If you look at the chronology of the gospel, Peter's seen the centurion's servant get healed. The centurion comes and and says to Jesus, "Would you pray for my servant for they're very sick and will die?" And Jesus makes to go towards the servant, and and the centurion says, "No, no, don't come, because I've seen your authority. Just speak the word, and my servant will be healed." And Jesus marvels at this incredible faith of this person who is from the Roman Empire. And then Peter sees that, and he sees Jesus asleep in the back of another boat. Ironically, another fishing boat that's going up and down and finds themselves in a bad storm. I don't know, it was about these fishermen. They just never seem to pick a good day to go out, and they don't seem to be able to catch any fish. If you read here, it's always Jesus helping them catch fish. But anyhow, that's um, something to ask Pete when you see him. So Je- Pete, Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. He rises from the back of the boat, calms the sea. Peace be still. And they marvel. He sees a legion of demons that's inside this guy at the Gadarenes get cast out of this guy and into these pigs who then throw themselves over the edge of the cliff. And it all happens with the commands of Jesus. And he's part of the 12 that get sent out in twos, out into the villages. Jesus says, I, I lay hands on you, I impart to you my authority. Now go, preach the gospel, lay hands on the sick, cast out demons. And so they go and do that too. Pete has seen all this. He's just come from the feeding of the 5,000. He takes the two two fish and the loaves, holds them in his hand, blesses them, distributes them to 5,000 individual people, and then has 12 baskets left over. Pete knows something happens when Jesus' words are spoken. There's something in the command of Jesus and Pete's saying, if you command me to come out there, which is an impossible thing, really, then it'll probably happen. And so he does. I don't know whether that would have been the first thing you would have thought of, but it certainly was the first thing that he did. You know, what's going to be vital today, and it's not popular, you know, for our secular atheists or our postmodernists to talk like this, but there is ultimate truth in the world today. I'm prepared to make the claim very clearly and very straight. There is an ultimate truth in the world today. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the author of all truth. In the mind of God from the very beginning of time, in the originating thought pattern of God, God saw the world in all of its beauty, all of its splendor, all of its just wonder He saw mankind, humankind, in the Garden of Eden, but he saw them beyond the Garden. He saw them, you know, prospering and going beyond the Garden and having dominion. And he saw somewhere down the line of these thousands and thousands of years, he saw you. God's ability to see the micro, the the tiniest detail, is unquestionable. We see it in creation, if you pick up a, a handful of dirt you'll see a whole ecosystem working there. And then you can throw the dirt into the air and look up into the sky and you'll see another incredible cosmos all working together. God's a big picture and a small picture God. God saw you from the beginning of time and he didn't see you broken, he saw you whole. So there's a truth that sits in God about you that he is constantly speaking about you and over you. God never speaks to dysfunction. God never speaks and things don't work. God never speaks and they break down. No, every time God speaks, they flourish and grow. They come to life. Jesus said, I came, you might have life and life more abundantly. That's all God knows how to do. He's the God that creates and flourishes. And he speaks over us. Right now, he's speaking over each and every one of us. God has a perfect thought pattern about you, your gifts and your potential. Whether you or I are living up to that perfect thought pattern, that's a secondary issue. The first issue is this. God has a perfect thought pattern about you, and he's calling you into that perfect thought pattern. It's called the mind of Christ. He has the mind of Christ for you. A collection of thoughts and ideas that will help you, that will put you on a path towards his presence and power, the very thing that your soul craves. The devil's plan, on the other hand, is completely the opposite. His plan is he's built his whole mission around selling us a lie. And it started in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, the serpent came to Adam and Eve and said, as they were considering the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, should we eat from it? Or the tree of life and all the other trees, should we eat from it? They're considering it. The serpent said this, but did God really say you shouldn't eat? Did God really say that? Like, in other words, paraphrased in the Derek Peter's Revised Standard Version here, but can God be trusted? What's God hiding from you that's good, that by you not eating that fruit, you're missing out on? And the devil's in, his, in their ear saying, I think God's giving you a furphy. And so thinking, oh, well, let's find out what God's hiding. They grab the fruit and eat of it. Of course, we see something birthed into the world called sin. The devil wants to continue his lie by getting you not just to not believe that God's word is true and powerful, but he wants you to believe that what you're currently stuck in you'll, will never change. That what you're in, that cycle of habitual anxiety or fear, or shame, or or rejection, or whatever else is part of our series, he wants you to firmly believe that that is who you are, who God created you to be, in that broken state, and therefore it can never change. You might feel a little bit better, God might be able to come around you and ease some of your discomfort internally, but no, you can't really ever be free. And if he can convince us of the lie, then he's given us the lie. We've received the lie, and though the truth is actually quite different, we've received this lie and called it our truth. Today, I want to encourage you, you are not stuck. There is a greater promise that God has given you There is a greater principle that God has given you. There is a greater way of life. You can hear the mind of Christ. You can let that mind come into your mind. Your mind can be renewed every day by that words of the Spirit of God who is speaking those words over you right now. You can find a place of freedom through the mind of Christ. Amen. That's good preaching. I just want you to know. I just feel that's good preaching. Just in case you didn't recognize it, it looks a little bit like that for me, anyway. Our scriptural theme today is one you've heard of before, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. For God has not given to us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. We've quoted it many, many times. God has not given to me a spirit of fear, but power. Love and a sound mind. But here's the thing, I've found personally, as I've tried to walk with and walk away from and replace fear with, with God's love in my life. I have found just quoting that scripture has not helped me get free. I've had to understand something about what God is trying to say there, what Paul was writing to Timothy, what is the principle behind it? Look, it's it's a promise in that scripture, but it's also a process. It's a promise, but it's also a process. And that's what's being delivered here to Timothy. And that's what I think God is trying to deliver to us today. So we're going to be asking the question today, what is the power that he's given you? What is the sound mind that he has given you? What is the love that he has given you? Because if we can understand those three things, then we can begin to enter the process of transformation and then walk towards freedom. Is that a good thing? Is that something we'd like to do today? Amen. You're allowed to today to say anything that comes out of your mouth that's positive. Okay? Amen is considered positive in this church. You go for it. Number one, God has given to us the power of free will. God has given to us the power of free will. It's one of the first powers he ever gave humankind. He sat them in the garden. We just talked about it before. He said, choose the tree of life Don't choose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He laid the choice in front of them. God said to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19, he said, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days." and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. God said to Solomon in Proverbs 18 and verse 21, Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat its fruit. In other words, you can choose which fruit you want. God said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 21, Now you shall say to this people, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I set before you the new way of life, and the way of death. God has constantly been convincing us and showing us that part of his sovereign design for humankind is the will of God that you have a free will. And that free will you can exercise in any way you like. That free will you can exercise all the way to hell if you want to. You can not choose God in every walk and every footstep that you've got, in every single part of your day between now and when you die, and then the reward of that will be waiting for you. Or alternatively, you can choose God and walk with God. But within those choices of walking with God, there are lots of other choices of walking for God. Ways to think and ways to feel. We can place our mind and affections in certain areas and we will eat the fruit from where we place our mind and affections. And this is part of the key to getting free. Number two, well, firstly, God has given us the power of free will. Secondly, God has given you a sound mind. A sound mind. Sound mind comes from the Greek word sophron. And sophron has two origins, sozo and phren. Sozo and friend. Ah, it's there. Which simply means the healing of my inner outlook. Or literally, God's will in my thinking structures. God has given me a sound mind. He's given me God's will. His will in my thinking structures. The NIV translates this. If you've got an NIV here, which is quite popular, I just want to say power and love and self-discipline, your Bible would say, means a person who does not command themselves, but is commanded by God. So it's the same, self-discipline, self-control, but it's the idea of your inner thinking structures, finding sozo, salvation and healing, wholeness and flourishing, coming to our thinking structures. And thirdly, God has given you the power to choose where you place your love and affections. The power to choose where you place your love and affections. God is love. Love is just not something God does. Love is the operating system of God. In fact, the early church fathers said that love is the ousia of God. It's the substance of God. God God is not an action of love. He is a noun called love. And love... Looks like something. Love acts like something. But God is completely love. You scratch God, you scratch love, and love comes out of God. He is made of love. He is both noun and verb. Being and doing. He is love. We can. We won't have time to completely unpack it, but we'll build a bit later. So we have caused our affections and our thoughts to choose to think a certain way and as a result of doing that we have received the fruit of that which has resulted in fear and anxiety and other things as well but today's fear and anxiety and so god wants to train us how to rethink and refeel so that we begin to rehabituate our life into his way of thinking. We begin to bring salvation into our thinking structures so that we're able to automatically and habitually find freedom. Not pretend we're free, although that's part of it. There's say, like, oh, we'll get to process in a minute. Let's not get ahead. Let's just go back to Peter's inner process for a minute. Peter knows the properties of water. He's standing in the boat. He's looking at Jesus standing there. Pete's a fisherman. No matter how bright fishermen are, and I know there's a lot of very intelligent fishermen here this morning, but I reckon at least you know this. You don't walk on water. It's not the thing you do. You catch fish in water, but you don't always go for a run on the water. He knows that. He's probably lost a lot of his mates at sea when seas were boisterous like this. He's got reason to believe he's in danger. This is not irrational fear. He is in danger. But Jesus is right there. But Jesus is right there. Peter, instead of focusing on the state of being, his posture at that time, which has rational cause to exist, he instead asks Jesus for his words. He says, Jesus, again, my paraphrasing, would you say these words to me? Could I hear these words from you, please? Command me to come out in the water. Now, Jesus could have gone, no, that's not what I want you to do, that's not my will. But Peter may be perceiving something, I don't know, I I don't know why that was the right thing in the moment. I'm sure the Holy Spirit of God was there prompting Peter, I have no doubt, I have no doubt. But anyway, whatever it is, he was prompted, he said those words and Jesus said, come. So in that moment, in order for Peter to actually take the word come and assimilate that word, putting aside the natural fear that would say to him to get out of the boat is nutso. He has to swap the feeling he's feeling for the certainty of Jesus's words. Can you see? There is an exchange that has to happen in that I'm not just going to take it mentally that Jesus said, come, but I'm going to take his words into me and I'm going to eat of his words because my memory tells me Jesus says stuff and it happens. My experience tells me when Jesus declares and commands, I've got something pretty powerful to stand onto. When Jesus starts talking like this, then I've actually got something here that changes the natural order of things. Now we don't see all that in in the text, but all of that has to be. going on in Peter otherwise he's not going to take that one word and put his foot on the water you wouldn't do it it's stupidity otherwise he goes to get out of the boat every other disciple looks at him with kind of like a dog with a new pan and going with their hands hanging down going what are you doing Pete the Lord's just arrived where are you going this stay here Pete's on a different agenda he's seeing something different by faith Peter is resetting his mind around the words of Jesus, changing his fear response to one of positive action. And there's a process that happened inside him. Look at 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. In other words, we're human, but our our war to become better humans isn't to just try and be a better human. There's something else we've got to do. It's not humans striving in their will to become better humans. That's not the plan of God. Others may think that's the way to do it, but that's not the plan of God. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or human, but mighty in God for pulling down three things. One, strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing That exalts itself against what? Against the knowledge of God. In other words, that exalts itself against the way in which Jesus sees it should be. Exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Ah, There's such a key in this captivity of your thought life to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. See, you can't cast down an argument you haven't observed. Until you've defined it, observed it, defined it, you can't cast it down. It's just this general sense of I'm feeling anxious and fearful. I know what that feels like. And, and until you dig into and walk with the Lord and ask God, and for that matter, find someone else, a counselor or someone that can help guide you into what is this trigger? What is these thoughts that have come and exalted themselves against the knowledge of God? God is not sitting in heaven today saying, you should be fearful. God is not sitting in heaven saying, you should be suffering emotional debilitation because of your emotional state. He is not saying that about you. He's a good father. He's a good, good father. He's saying quite the opposite. But we have to know what is the argument that's coming against us, that's trying to embed itself, the lie, that wants to try and take hold of us. If we can define it, observe it and define it, we can work with it. The ability to quieten your mind, objectively observe your thinking, and capture the thoughts that are triggering your fear response then redirect your thoughts to the truths of God. Taking that truth in is the process of freedom from fear. That's the process. It's the process of taking your free will and placing it into a whole new way of thinking and a whole new way of feeling. It's a rewiring of our brain into the mind of Christ. So let's look at this process of replacement. I want to look at four things. Four steps in the process of replacement. Number one, quieten your mind. We live in such a fast-paced world. We live in such a, a world that we say to ourselves, the only way I can get some peace is I need to distract myself. So we'll watch our Netflix, we'll, we'll get on our phones, we'll get on Facebook and flick endlessly up through the feed. We'll do all kinds of things that in and of themselves I'm not throwing stones at. But what happens is they become distractions to our pain and not cure. They cause our mind to do something else, but what waits for us is that habitual thought pattern that at some point is still like a boisterous wave going to rear itself up. We haven't dealt with it. A chaotic mind filled with uncaptured rapid and negative thinking. Have you ever noticed that negative thinking is rapid thinking? It's fast. It's fast. Have you ever noticed that peaceful thoughts are very slow and easy and cause you no concern? But the chaotic mind that's running fast is a great place for triggers of fear and why we get overwhelmed as we begin to think those things out in our life. Just as the disciples boat was tossed in the waves, Jesus came and stood with them by the boat. In other words, how do you quieten your mind? Remember this one truth. He said he'll never leave you or ever forsake you. No matter what's going on or how your boat is going up and down in the water, no matter how much turmoil you are feeling in the process of fear as your anxiety is raging inside you, if you can quieten your mind enough to know this one truth, that the God of heaven is standing right with you now. Just as he walked to the boat across the water and stood there, he's walked across the water of your troubled soul and he's standing there right there now. He's waiting. Quiet in your mind. How do I do it? I become aware of that truth. I make myself aware that Jesus is here. He is here. He is here. He is here. I don't know how many times I've said that to myself over all the, the years of working through and battling with different types of fear. How many times I would say tens of thousands of times I've said, Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. I find it might take me about 50 at some times for me to actually feel that he is. Now, is that because Jesus isn't there or just because I can't feel him? It's the ladder. He's here. I've got to feel that he's here. I've got to feel that he's here. Jesus, you're here. Jesus, you're here. Jesus, you're here. And what happens is as you begin to speak it to yourself, inside your soul it begins to open to the truth of that. You're designed for truth. Your heart will hear truth. Your spirit knows what truth sounds like. It'll hear it. Now, your emotions take a little while to catch. But your spirit goes, ah, that's the truth. God hasn't left me. Of course he's here. Of course he's here. So I want to quieten my mind. <laughs> Secondly, I want to objectively observe my thinking and capture rogue thoughts. Second Corinthians 10 says, we pull down strongholds, we cast down arguments and high things. So there's actually something, something you've got to do. You pull them down, you cast them, you're casting them off. So it's not that you just observe them only. You're going to observe them so you can define them, so you can grab them and do something with them. We're going to get rid of them. I love how the message translation says this in 2 Corinthians 10. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Who wants a structured life shaped by Christ? Can I see a hand of anyone in this place who'd like a restructured life according to the life of Christ? I would too. I see Jesus was full of joy and peace and love and long suffering. Jesus was the greatest guy to be with. I'd like to be more like Jesus. I really would. I really would. I would love to think that as I walk with him in this, I can find it too. Number three, you redirect your thinking to the truths of God. So we quieten our mind, we objectively observe our thinking and capture rogue thoughts. Now we redirect our thinking to the truths of God. What are the truths of God? Well, there's 20-something thousand promises in the Bible and a whole bunch of things, but I want to draw you back to a principle here today that you can see. You're made in the image of God and God is love. The nature of God is love because it's the nature of God. If you can define love, if you can come closer to love, if you can enter into love, you can get a clearer picture of God. You become more like God. There's a slide here I'd like to show you. Love isn't just a word that we use at Hollywood movies or something that we say at weddings. I know we know this. But love as I see it in the spirit is like like those kids. Have you ever seen kids with those long telescopes? They're like kaleidoscopes. And as you turn the thing around, all the colors kind of turn and you see a, a cascade of different colors. Or maybe like a shaft of light and it goes into a prism. And when it hits this crystallized prism, on the other side there is a, just a whole variety of light that comes off this prism that actually is the composition of the light that first hit it. Love is the composition of many things. Love is optimistic. Love is full of faith. Love is peace. Love is filled with joy. Love is kind, love is gentle acts, it's, it, love has endurance, love has a sound mind, love rejoices in the truth, love can't fail. If you take 2 Corinthians 13 and put that with Galatians and smash them together and get rid of the repeats, that's what it looks like. That's what love looks like. So when Jesus walked on the earth, he was the way, he was the truth and life, he was love incarnated. And that's the journey that God wants for us remove the fear and walk in love. It's your natural state to experience and operate out of love, which is any one of those things. I've found joy is a great antidote to fear as well. Perfect love casts out fear, that's true, but within perfect love, there's lots of other things. Joy is a great antidote for fear. Joy, joy, that wide-eyed optimism that says tomorrow can be better. That today doesn't have to stay like it is. That what I'm experiencing today is temporal. And what will be tomorrow, I'll be free from. That kind of joy. That joy that brings with it faith and all the other buddies that are on that screen. And finally, number four, we walk in the Spirit. We walk in the... Why do we need to walk in the Spirit? Well, Peter's story tells us something. He walked out towards Jesus on the water. And as he got towards Jesus... The waves were rolling, the boisterousness came up, and he turned his eyes not just off Jesus. That's one thing. What he really did was he took his faith and belief and repositioned it to the waves. In other words, he started to say, Can God really save me? The same question at the Garden of Eden came back into Peter's mind Can God be trusted? He gave me a word to come out here, but the waves are big. Can God be trusted? The doubt of self, original sin, back in his, fused inside him, starts to rear its head again, and he starts to sink. And then Jesus says, why are you of little faith? Seems so harsh. But Jesus was trying to show them that's what faith looks like. Hear my command and do it. Now you're in faith. And so we need to walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is habitual consciousness of the truths of God habitual to the point that it's no longer you having to manually do it all the time. You know, i found for me sometimes 20, 30, 40 times a day or more, I'm taking a manual thought, a promise of the truth of God. I'm putting it in my mind. I am replacing the fear that's in my heart with this that's in my mind, and I'm choosing to focus on it. I'm choosing to focus on it until I begin to feel the truth of it, and then I let it go and walk some more. And to keep doing that and keep doing that, sometimes 30 or 40 times a day. But can I tell you what happens? After a while, it becomes Becomes 10 and then after a while it becomes five times a day and then after a while you get to a place where you say gee it's been a while since i've had that plaguing thought pattern i can't remember the last time that happened as you habituate the consciousness of god inside you i wonder if we could pray together i'd love us to start praying for some people today Father, we just thank you for your presence with us. God, I know that as we've been reading your word and God, as my voice has gone out, Lord, you've taken what's being said. But more importantly, God, there are people's lives at the moment, Lord, that are holding up their question to you, saying, God, help me. God, set me free. God, I'm tired of walking this merry-go-round constantly and feeling like there's no way off it. God, I pray for those prayers today, the prayers of those hearts today. Father, would you come and meet us with your power? Would you meet us with your incredible presence? God, help each one of us see the mind of Christ for us, be able to take hold of it inside of us, and walk free in the power of the Spirit. God, we ask you this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, I'd I'd like to ask this. If that's you this morning, and you've just faced constantly that battle of fear, but something inside you this morning has said, you know what, I'm drawing a line in the sand for me today, and I want breakthrough. Today is my day for breakthrough. I know that you would know this, that God can do things in an instant sometimes that can take years, and it happens often. And it happens here often. But oftentimes, as well, it's a process. But the process starts from a decision where we take the choice, the power of choice that we have, and we say, God, one more time, I'm choosing to stand with you, to walk with you. I'm not going to be like this in five years' time. I'm not going to have the five years I've just had for the next five years. I'm going to find a way in you to be free. And if that's you this morning, you want to rewrite your future so that it doesn't have to look like the past. And you know that God's got a pattern of thinking for you that he can give you. And out of that pattern of thinking can come freedom. Would you stand? I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I realize I don't want to put anybody into any place of great embarrassment right now. But I would ask you to respond. Stand where you are because we're just going to pray for you and with you. And when you stand, what you're saying is this today I'm taking breakthrough. Even if for you, this has been something you've stood many, 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 many times before. So what? There's no condemnation in this. You know what? We are fighting the enemy. And I say, stand again, Fooi to the enemy. Fooi to him. Let's just tell him to go. Go to hell, actually. That's where he goes. That's where he belongs. He can go there. But you and I, we're going to keep holding on to God. We're going to stand up one more time. We're going to stand up one more time. We're going to stand up one more time. And you know what? The battle is not over until you choose to not stand up. Now, I'm not putting you under pressure to stand today. I'm just saying, inside here, you only lose when you stop standing there. That's the only time. That's the only time. Come on, I reckon there's a few more. Don't wait till the very end here. If this is you, just stand. Just make your claim. Say, look, I'm standing. Who cares about the person standing next to me? At the end of the day, if I can get freedom in my soul, if I can find freedom in here, where I am at liberty, and what used to be this thing can be gone, how great would that be? How awesome would that be? So good. So good. God is in the house. Today. I'd love us to do this. If you can see someone standing around you, And by the way, if you still want to stand, why don't you just quickly jump up now before people start moving. But if you've got some faith in your heart, even if you're a visitor with us today or new, but there's faith in your heart and you want to come and pray over these people, would you all stand and find someone, lay hands on them? Look to the back, look to the front, look to the sides. Husbands and wives, let's get our hands on people. Let's just begin to lay hands on people. As you get there, let me just talk to you what I'm hoping you'll do. We're going to begin to pray over them. This slide that's up behind me is the slide with love. I'd love you to take something of the promise of love and pray those words of love as a promise over the people you're laying hands on. Pray that God would meet them there. Pray that God would infuse them supernaturally. Let the Spirit of God lead you how to pray. If you get a word of prophecy for someone, give them the word of prophecy. Encourage their heart. Today, we're going to win. Amen? Today, we're going to win. Come on, let's begin to pray. As the musicians just begin to play, just start to pray. Just start to pray. Be bold. Step out and pray in Jesus' name.